and I've entitled it Bible Basics, The Truths I Wish I Knew But Don't. <laughs> and the reason why we're going to do this is because a lot of Christians don't know the basic things of Christianity, and they don't know what the church has believed throughout history. So to introduce people into the basics of faith, the church in the past used to set aside designated times during the week or before or after the worship service. This is how Sunday schools got started. This is how Christian education got started or communicants classes got started. They were designated times after worship to teach people specific catechisms, specific creeds, and specific articles of the faith, like the Westminster Confession of Faith, like the Nicene Creed, like the Belgic Confession, like the Heidelberg Catechisms. And some of you may have never even heard of these articles of faith, and that's okay. But they are great and helpful tools to know more about the truths of what Christianity is and what the church believes. And I just want to give you one example. The first question that the Heidelberg Catechism asks and answers is this. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. <laughs> that is loaded. It's not just beautiful, but that's powerful. There are at least six doctrines contained in that answer. I mean, what a great summary of the truths about who God is and the security of the salvation he accomplished for us in Jesus. But today we don't study or use historical documentation of what the church has believed throughout history. Today the church has failed not only to pass on what it has believed throughout history, but the church has failed to teach basic things about Christianity, and what every Christian should know, but they don't. For example, I'm amazed at how many Christians know a lot of Bible verses, but they don't know the Bible. They don't know the one unfolding story of what the Bible is all about. So they may know certain verses, but they don't know how those verses fit in the context of the paragraph, and they don't know how that paragraph fits in the context of the book, and they don't know how that one book fits in the context of the whole Bible. And then another example that amazes me is this. How many Christians don't know the doctrine of justification? Martin Luther called it the most important doctrine in the church. He said this doctrine will either cause the church to stand or fall. <laughs> and What's interesting is that this doctrine in church history was lost for hundreds of years until it was recovered in the early 1500s. And this doctrine is what sparked the Protestant Reformation. Now today, <laughs> how many people have grown up in the church and have never heard of this doctrine? 
How many people today actually know what it means and know how to apply it to their lives? You see, this doctrine of justification, it's central not just to the church, but to you personally. It's so important that if you understand and know it, you know what it'll do? It's going to change your life. It'll change your beliefs. It'll change your behavior. Understanding and knowing justification, it will bring you comfort and peace. Understanding and knowing justification will quiet and silence your guilt and shame. Knowing this doctrine can help extinguish what I call Satan's fiery arrows of accusations. And yet, sadly, many Christians don't know what it means and how it applies to their lives. So, we're going to look at justification later in the series, all right? But what's the point? We need to learn the basics of the Christian faith. And the reason why is because it's like a child when it learns to walk. Once it, once it learns to walk, doesn't it change everything, parents? <laughs> right? It changes everything. So what I hope happens from knowing these basics is that we would learn how to walk closer with God. And this morning, we're going to start with the Bible. So if you will, yeah, I'm going to have you stand, actually. You can. It's not that long of a passage. We're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Just go to the back of the Bible. When you hit Revelation, turn left a little bit, and you'll get there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice born to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. He's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration here, where Peter, James, and John witnessed this. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure something more reliable, something more certain than that. What is it? The prophetic word. The Bible. The prophetic word, which you will do well to pay attention as, a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may take your seats. And I'm sorry for my congestion, and I do have to say this. Um, I've had really bad, long COVID for six weeks now, and the brain fog is real. So if I lose my place <laughs> or I just stare blankly at people, just bear with me. We'll get back on track, hopefully. But it made it very hard to study this week. Uh, well, it's made it very hard to study for the last five weeks, to be honest with you. All right, this is going to be a different kind of series from what I normally do, right? Because what I normally do is I expositionally preach through books of the Bible. And I usually like to go back and forth between the New Testament book and an Old Testament book. But this is going to be different because this series is going to be more topical. 
Now, yes, we're going to use certain scriptures. We'll always use certain scriptures. But instead of expounding only on those scriptures, I want to expound on the topic. And some of you may be wondering, why in the world are you starting with the Bible and not with God? (laughs) Well, we're starting with the Bible because our faith is a revealed faith. R.C. Sproul said this, Christianity is a revealed religion, constructed not on the basis of speculative philosophy, but in response to what God himself has made manifest or made known, which means you cannot know God unless God reveals himself. And God has chosen to reveal himself in his word contained in the 66 books of the Old and the New Testaments. But let's think about that for a moment. God chose to reveal himself through words. Words contained in books. Books that were written by human authors. And what does Peter tell us in verse 21 of our text? He says, these human authors, words, they were not produced through the will of man, but through the will of God. These words were spoken and written by men, Peter says, who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the theological term for this is called inspiration. Okay? God inspired these words. Human authors were inspired to write what they wrote. And Paul, in our scripture reading in 2 Timothy 3.16, describes it this way. All scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed, which is an interesting phrase, right? Because the Hebrew word for spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, which is an onomatopoeia word. It sounds like what it means, and it means like what it sounds. It's like an exhale. So ruach means breath. It means wind. It means spirit. So God inspired human authors breathed out to them the words that he wanted them to write down. God breathed out through the Holy Spirit the words that he wanted them to write. These words in the scriptures, in other words, are exactly what God wanted written down. Which means the Bible is God's word, and it carries the authority of God himself to back it up. So what we are reading are the very words of God. So what is the Bible? The very words of God. This is what God wants us to know about him. What he's revealed about himself through his word. But some of you may ask, well, wait a minute, is the Bible the only way that God has revealed himself? Is the Bible the only way to know God? I mean, doesn't God reveal himself in different, through different ways, like in nature? Well, doesn't Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3, tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the skies above proclaim his handiwork? Day by day, they pour out speech. Night by night, they continue to reveal knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words where his voice is not heard. Yes, what's that saying? Basically, creation's doing what? It's preaching a sermon. (laughs) 
It's declaring the glory of who God is. I mean, think about that. At night, when you're away from the city and you go out and you look up, the heavens declare the glory of God. Don't the mountains proclaim his majesty? Don't storms proclaim his power? Man, when you stare at the sun going down over the ocean, doesn't it cause you to just go, wow, that's amazing. That is beautiful. That is glorious. But the sermon that creation is proclaiming, I'm only a reflection of the one who made me. You think I'm majestic? You think I'm powerful? You think I'm glorious? You think I'm beautiful? I pale in comparison to the power, the glory, the majesty, and the beauty of the one who made me. So yes, God has revealed himself in creation. But creation only reveals certain aspects about God. It's limited in what we can know about God. And theologians, they make a distinction between what they call the general or natural revelation compared to special revelation. In Paul, in Romans 1, he makes it clear that God has revealed certain aspects about himself through nature. In verses 18 to 20, Paul tells us that God made the knowledge of himself clear to every human being. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So when you look at creation, it tells you certain things about the creator. And this is why Paul goes on to say then we're, we have no excuse to say we didn't know anything about God. Nature, God's general revelation points beyond itself to its maker and creator. But then in Romans 2, Paul tells us that God generally reveals himself through the law that he wrote on our hearts, and our conscience bear witness of that fact. In verses 14 through 15, he says, When the Gentiles who do not have the law in written form by nature do what the law requires, then they are a law unto themselves even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse them. Because God has written his law on every human heart we know when we break it. Because our conscience bears witness and we feel guilty. We know we've done something wrong. So here it is, because creation can only reveal certain things about God, and because the law written on our heart causes us to feel guilty when we break it, we need more than general revelation. We need special revelation from God. We need special revelation that shows us that God as creator is more than majestic and powerful. That God is also a God of grace and mercy. We need specific special revelation that reveals God's plan of salvation. 
We need special, specific revelation that reveals what God does with our sin. And what's that special revelation? The Bible. The very words of God. See, general revelation is not sufficient to give us the knowledge of salvation. But God's special revelation is sufficient to tell us everything that we need to know about God and his salvation. So if the Bible is the very words of God, then why the Bible? (laughs) Why is this the means that God chose to reveal himself? Because the Bible is what? It's God's one unfolding story of redemption through his Redeemer. You see, Genesis through Revelation is one progressive story of how God is going to redeem fallen humanity through the Redeemer he sends. But unfortunately, today, too many Christians, they don't see that this is what the Bible is and this is what the Bible reveals. So here's my proposition this morning. How you view the Bible will determine how you use the Bible. And how you use the Bible will reveal how you view it. See, too many people today, they view the Bible as a roadmap, as an instruction manual for how we are to live. And because they view it this way, how do they use it? They use it as a way to try to improve in order to get better. Because they view it this way, this is how they use it. What do they focus on? Well, they focus on the rules and regulations. They focus on the laws and the commands. So what's the emphasis on then? Our behavior. How we live the Christian life. When Christianity becomes a bunch of rules or regulations, when the emphasis is on behavior modification, then who's the focus? And what is the focus? It's you. The focus is you and your behavior, not God. When the Bible is viewed and used this way, people begin to do what? They begin to rely more and more on themselves and less and less on Jesus and his grace. And so they live their lives more and more as if they don't need Jesus and his grace. I could do it on my own. Man, or people, (laughs) they view the Bible like an encyclopedia, right? A bunch of unrelated random topics in a book. And I have absolutely no idea how it all fits together. So what do they do? They use the Bible topically, right? They look up verses that might deal with something you're struggling with in the hopes that these verses are going to instruct me and help me with my struggle, right? It's... Pearls of wisdom I'm looking for. Post-its that I can stick up on my wall or my mirror or on my refrigerator. Pearls of wisdom that give good advice. I'm not knocking doing that if you do that, okay? But what do we do? We pick and choose verses. And we fail to see how those verses fit in the context of the book in which they were written in. And then we fail to see how that book fits in the context of the other books. 
And this is sadly why a lot of Christians may know a lot of Bible verses, but they don't know what the Bible is all about. Or people view the Bible as if it's Aesop's fables, right? A good book with a lot of moral stories where we can exercise a lot of moral virtue, right? So what do we do when we come to Genesis and we read about Abraham? What do we do? Well, we look for what Abraham does good, and then we look for what he does bad. And then we're like, okay, be like Abraham here, but oh, don't be like Abraham here. Or when we come to David and Goliath, oh, we got to fight the Goliath in our lives like David did. Hey, and here are five smooth stones on how to defeat Goliath in your life. Or we come to Nehemiah, and what do we learn with Nehemiah? Oh, here are some great leadership principles on how to get people together to build things. Again, when we do this, where's the focus? And what's the focus on? You and your behavior. You're using the Bible as if it's a bunch of stories that offer good advice like a roadmap or an instruction manual on how to live. But that's not how God views the Bible. And that's not how God wants us to use the Bible. See, here's the obvious question. How does Jesus view the Bible? Well, (laughs) in John chapter 5, he's having a discussion with the religious leaders. And he says this in verse 39. You, religious leaders, you search the scriptures, you who teach God's word, you search the scriptures... Because you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, you're looking at the scriptures, you're viewing it as an instruction manual on how to live. And you're following what it says, its rules and regulations, thinking that by doing that, you're going to achieve eternal life. But, Jesus says it is these scriptures. What scriptures is he talking about? The Old Testament, because that's all they had then, right? But it is these, the Old Testament scriptures, that bear witness of me. The whole Old Testament bears witness of Jesus. So if you view the Bible as primarily about you, If you use the Bible as a way to improve and get God's blessing, then you completely miss Jesus. And you completely miss finding eternal life. See, God does not leave it up to us to interpret his revealed words about himself. He doesn't leave it up to us to pick and choose how we view and interpret it. He tells us how to view and interpret it. God has chosen to reveal himself in the person and work of his son. So who Jesus is and what Jesus does is the fullest and final revelation of all that God wants us to know about himself. And there is no more clearer passage than Luke chapter 24 that shows us this. All right, Jesus has already died, and he's risen. And 
he appears to some of his disciples who are leaving Jerusalem because they're discouraged and they're downcast because they had put their hope that Jesus was the Messiah, but because he died, their hopes were dashed. So he appears to them, he says, hey, what are y'all talking about? (laughs) And they look at him and are like, are you a stranger here that you don't know the things that have just gone on these past few days? So he says, what things? So then they begin to say about Jesus, the Messiah, how he was handed over to the religious leaders and then he was killed and we had hoped that he was the one. And then Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and then enter his glory? And here we go. And beginning with Moses, first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then all the prophets, which is the rest of the Old Testament, (laughs) he interpreted to them how all of the scriptures were about him. And then later on in verses 44 through 45 of Luke 24, he says to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, oh, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then catch this next phrase, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What does that mean? To understand the scriptures is to see how all of the scriptures are about Jesus. You cannot read and apply the Bible properly unless you see how all of the scriptures are about who Jesus is and what Jesus will and did do. In other words, all the Bible, it's God's special revelation about himself and the person and work of his son, Jesus. Jesus is the redeemer of the world. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is how God accomplishes salvation for sinful people. The Bible is about Jesus and his salvation. God gave it to us so that we could find life in his son, so that we could see how Jesus redeems us from what our sins deserve, so that we would come to trust more and more in Jesus and trust less and less in ourselves so that we would grow more and more in our understanding of God's grace and mercy towards us in Jesus, which transforms us to look more and more like Jesus. Golly, if we viewed the Bible that way, wouldn't it change the way we use it? See, we would not go to it merely to get information and application for our lives. We'd go to it to meet with God. We'd go to it to hear God speak to us. To listen to what he wants us to know about him. I mean, I hear over and over again how people, they want to encounter God. They want God to speak to them, so they look for signs. They look for feelings. They... They want to audibly hear him. But the Bible is where God speaks most clearly and most intimately with us. See, let that sink in. 
<laughs> when you open God's word and read, you have direct access to God. You're reading the very words of God, which means you have the opportunity to connect with the God of the universe. You have the opportunity to have fellowship with God. And I don't want you to miss the significance of what Peter's saying in our text, right? He was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was on the mount when Jesus unveiled his glory and showed them who he really was. They heard the voice of God from the glory cloud. They saw his majesty. They heard his power. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Peter saw it and he heard it, but what he says in verse 19 is absolutely mind-blowing. We have something more reliable than that. How do you get something more reliable than that? Than to actually see it to actually audibly hear it. Peter says this is actually more certain that God is speaking to you than if you audibly heard him. God's written and recorded word is a more reliable testimony about Jesus than if you actually audibly heard God's voice or saw visions. I don't know, maybe I'm different than you, okay? But <laughs> have you ever thought, well, if God only did miraculous things now like he did back then, wouldn't that make it easier to believe in him? And, and wouldn't more people believe that he exists if he just audibly spoke and showed up? Peter is saying, when you read your Bible, it is more certain that God is speaking to you than if you audibly heard his voice. Since this is true, can I ask you an honest question? If the Bible is God's very word to you, if God speaks and ministers to you through his word, then why don't we read it more? Why don't we spend more time in it? Why do we view it as something to check off our to-do list for the day? Why do we miss seeing that it's an opportunity to meet with God? That it's an opportunity to have fellowship with the living God? That it's an opportunity for us to learn more about God? To learn more about His grace to learn more about what Jesus has done to save us, to grow closer to God. Could it be that we still view this book as mere words? Words that give us good information about Jesus and God, but these words never really come off the page to penetrate our hearts so that we believe and trust in God's word. Isn't it interesting that the first temptation in the garden <laughs> was Satan calling God's word into question? Did God really say? See, what's he doing? He's challenging God's authority, the authority of God's word. Why? 
because he's trying to get Adam and Eve to base what is true and what is real on what they see rather than on what God says. And we've been deceived into doing the same thing ever since, haven't we? See, what is real and what is true, it's determined more by what we see than it is on what God says. I mean, we look at our circumstances and our situations and conclude what? God's not there. He's forgotten about me. He's abandoned me. He's not blessing me. He's mad at me. He's punishing me. God doesn't hear my prayers. He's powerless to help. He doesn't really care about me. It's hard to believe in a God we cannot see, isn't it? It's hard to trust in what God says is more real than what we see. So knowing this about us, this is fast. Why did God choose to reveal himself through words? Think about that. Words. What does this tell us about God? He's personal. He's relational. Communication is his very being. And we're going to see that more next week when we look at the Trinity. But for right now, I want you to see this. God is a relational God who personally wants you to know him. God is a relational God who wants you to relate to him relationally. That means spending time with him. That means talking to him. That means listening to him in his word. In other words, (laughs) think of it this way. This is God's personal love letter to you. This is God's personal love letter to you. God has revealed himself in his word, but his word is, it's not just words. It's also the place of God's personal presence, which means his word and his presence can't be separated. God has revealed himself in his word so that we would go to his word to meet with him, so that we would go to his word to have fellowship with him, so that we would be comforted by him through his words that we would find healing, strength, and encouragement from him through his words. Where we would find healing, where God's presence is directly mediated to us through his word to give us his grace and peace. Where God, through his word, speaks us back to life again. But the only way we're going to trust more in God's word (laughs) is when we see those words coming off the page where we can actually see God. Is it any wonder that John in his gospel says this, in the beginning was the word? 
And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Which means what? In Jesus, we see the character of God and the closeness of God. In Jesus, we see the face of God. Jesus, in other words, is God's love coming off the page for you. And when you see that, it changes everything, doesn't it? Because Jesus makes the invisible God known and seen. See, God's word is all about Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus is God's word to you. I'm going to end this way. In John chapter 6, <laughs> Uh, Jesus was teaching a difficult teaching which caused many people to stop following Jesus and leave. They walked away. Why? Because Jesus claimed he was the manna from heaven, <laughs> that he's the bread of life that came down to give life. And then, basically, he says, the only way to find life is to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Everybody's like, whoa, what the heck? Is this cannibalism? What's he talking about here? What's he talking about here? To eat of his flesh is to believe in his life. To drink of his blood is to believe in his death. And then you, by believing that he lived for you, and then that he died for you, and now when you trust in that, what does he do? He gives you life. But this was a hard teaching. <laughs> and many people could not see and believe that Jesus was the bread of life, and that through his life and death, he gives life. So those who did not believe what they do, they walked away. And then Jesus turns to the 12. And he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter says, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can you go to find life? So go to God's word, because there you will see the word who is and who gives life. Go to God's word to find Jesus, who is the fullest and final revelation of all that God wants us to know about himself. But when you see that Jesus is God's special revelation for you, you know what happens? You find the rest you've been longing for your whole life in him through his word. Amen.